summer comes, the river runs again. I hear the music of the ice cream man. I'm making sparks, I'm making brand new friends when summer comes. podcast appreciating people it's most likely the end of your week if you're catching this around the time this episode drops either friday morning friday afternoon friday evening you know while you're driving home or if you're nuts it's late thursday night but i hope you had a great week i hope you have an even better weekend julia and i if this is friday morning for you are currently driving to the airport on our way to Los Angeles for what will surely be a lovely weekend. On this recording, we are once again proud and happy to feature the music of our friends Pan Astral. This is When Summer Comes off of their album Suburban Blues. Check out Pan Astral at panastral.com, Pan Astral on iTunes, Pan Astral on Bandcamp, Pan Astral on SoundCloud. Or just, you know, Pan Astral, wherever you get your digital music. They are playing a very, very special benefit concert at Globe Hall on June 1st in Denver with their friends Flowbots and Lotus. Be sure to check their, check them out there and be there. Oh, uh, yeah, I tripped my words there. But, yeah, do it. Um, also, if you would be so kind as to do both Michelle and I a favor and check out OneSite.org. Uh, OneSite is a wonderful charity doing terrific work to just make everyone see better. Because when you see better, life is better. All that stuff. Michelle has done work for them for a while. She's talked about the podcast. And I kind of feel uh, almost ridiculous that I haven't mentioned them before. But check them out. OneSite.org. I will include a link to it on the blog, thestrangetonic.com for you to check them out further. Just do it and give what you can. It's a great cause. From there, thank you for listening. We just we can't just express how much we truly appreciate your support. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health. And I am off to pack for that trip to Los Angeles. Please have a great weekend. Maybe I'm I see. Cut that, that part out. Yeah. <laughs> Cut that part out. <laughs> I guess I kind of wanted to time this just right, but I ended up messing even this up. But um, I'm, let's see, I think I'm in the 12th chapter of Comey's, like the audiobook, obviously, version uh-huh. of uh, James Comey's book, uh, you know, A Higher Loyalty. And 
I could have finished that at the office. I was trying to finish it just right so that I could do podcasts at work and then finish the audiobook on the drive home. But between the drive being relatively quick this evening, even though I stayed late and uh-huh. talking with my dad, I still have, let's see, like eh, 30 some odd minutes left. So not much. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're almost done. <clears throat> and I spoke too soon. I'm glad we didn't actually, I don't think we put up that part where we talked about uh, our feelings on his book, which neither one of us had read or anything at that point. But Sure. Um, it is closer to what I was hoping it would be. Like, he barely talks about Trump up until the 12th chapter. And hmm. even then, you know, with, I think he kind of a bit too much tries to go out of his way to, like, connect some of the more pop culture, like folklore to Trump, as far as, you know, his hands seemed a normal size. He looked orange, uh, <laughs> too long red tie, blue suit, uh, you know, hair that looks like he spends hours to get ready. Uh, also, he just keeps talking about hookers. He uses that term too, hookers and urinating and hotel Ooh. bedrooms and like snickering. Cause he, he couldn't imagine his wife believing that, uh, such a report might be true in the case of him. But <laughs> what's and this is where it's kind of an odd like bridge into like what we're gonna talk about tonight is he spends a large portion, not a large, but several times he goes back to this theme of humor in his book. Because the book is really a lot about his observations and like kind of what he thinks is a good leadership and what a good leader is. Okay. And he talks about he like a sense of humor. And how you know the ability not only to laugh, but to laugh at oneself, in his mind, is not only a signal of tremendous self-confidence, but also of a humility to the point where you can laugh at yourself and, and not just at other people. Mm-hmm. So when watching uh, that Michelle Wolf, you know, her, her bit at the Washington uh, White House Correspondents Association dinner, and like none of the Trump people, the few that were there, because uh, obviously you know, our dear leader had the grand courage to send people in his stead while he went and did mm-hmm. a campaign-style rally in Michigan and just you know, jerked himself off in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they didn't laugh. And <clears throat> the same thing, though, also applied to the people a lot of times in the audience who Michelle Wolf was making fun of. And I was just thinking, it's like, hmm, is this why everyone's so mad? Is that either they're not confident in what they're doing or that everyone is so, uh, as you could say, what's the term? Drawing a blank here. Oh, yeah. It's so utterly lacking in self-confidence that they try and (laughs) cover for it with this just austere sense of seriousness all the time. So Mm -hmm. with that said, because I wasn't at first going to talk about this because I watched like a brief clip of her remarks where it was uh, Michelle Wolf, you know, destroys Sarah Huckabee Sanders. (laughs) What were your thoughts on, um, well, I guess if you want to talk about the whole event, but uh, I personally only watched uh, Michelle Wolf's bit. So what are your thoughts yeah, on that you, or the whole thing? Did you you did did you watch her her full thing? It was I about did. twenty minutes. Yep, I did. Good. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I wasn't I was intrigued by it just from all the headlines. Uh, I couldn't believe how 
how many articles popped up over the over the weekend about it. And I just thought, damn, what the hell did she say? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I put it on in full. Uh, this morning, I personally thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like, I I thought her comments. I mean, she was a little crass and a little dirty, but she was never really wrong. And I think that's the the main component that got people so offended in the audience is that all of her crass jokes there there was still this element of truth to it. And this is uh, a White House that is completely fueled by untruth. And then feeding off of that is the White House Correspondents, I don't know, Association, is that what it's called? Yes. Because they've there have been journalists and organizations not allowed back to the White House if you say something too mean about the president or say something too critical about his administration. And so you have... You have, you know, these little Trump minions and then these journalists who have to get along with the Trump minions all sitting in a room together. And Michelle Wolf's up there just laying it out <laughs> and they did not like it. <laughs> and it was, I not. thought it was no, they didn't. And um, so my opinion was that it was it was pretty good stuff. Uh, I, I thought it was smart and I thought it was pretty funny. And yeah, it was it was pretty crass, but we've we've got this orange bastard as a president. Like he doesn't. This is what we get if you have some some type of administration that is so manipulative and lying and bad at what they do. You're gonna get a comedian that's gonna that's gonna say that. So I I thought it made perfect sense everything that she said and did. I agree, and uh, when I f- first just went off of the like. You know, destroys Sarah Huckabee Sanders part. Mm-hmm. I, in my own ignorance, because it was only the line where she talks about, uh, you know, Huckabee Sanders burning facts and how uh, she burns them so much that she you know, uses the ashes to make a smoky eye. Mm-hmm. And n- again, my own ignorance, I did not know that that was a term for like makeup or like is, is it how it's applied. <laughs> Yes, it is a style. I and so I kind of like was just like, oh, grown. Uh, but then, like, I kept seeing stuff on Twitter and seeing other things where it's like, no, like, it's an actual term. Like, oh, okay. And so I was like, oh, that's bad on me. But what I thought was so awful was you had all these other people in the news not only just getting, which I'll get to in a second, I guess, getting overly sensitive about all of this, but. Uh huh they were chastising Michelle Wolf for things she didn't even say, nor even imply. Like I right. saw one tweet from somebody from NBC news that said it wasn't fair to call Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a chubby soccer mom. Yeah. She never said anything remotely no. close to that. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking what? about? And then right. some other stuff where they're like, you know, oh, well, it's just too far. Like, you, you call her a liar. And of course the, um, you know, Maggie Haberman made some news by saying kind of how impressive it was that Sarah Huckabee Sanders just sat there and like took it. Well, that's the whole uh-huh. point of this. And as it's you said, mm-hmm. Wolf let everyone have it. It wasn't just mm-hmm. she went hard at some people. She went hard at the media. She went really hard at Trump, at Pence, at 
Kellyanne Conway, just everybody. And so part of me wonders if, because I made this a note to myself, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, yes, it has produced some good moments. Like, I really enjoyed Stephen Colbert going on there. Or, obviously, we I think all of us enjoyed Seth Meyers with uh-huh. his, uh, you know, you know, that surprised me because I thought Donald Trump was running as a joke line, which apparently still just burns Trump to no end. But one right. of my favorites, I thought this compared very favorably to it, at least similarly to it, was Norm MacDonald, I think at like the 98 White House Correspondents' Dinner. And Norm MacDonald kind of gets a kick out of telling jokes at events or like like, like – he likes to make fun of when people think things are more serious than they are. Mm-hmm. And you know, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it sort of sucks. Like, it's White House journalists and you know, members of the mainstream media from, like, the highest points of it getting uh-huh. together and, you know, gently poking fun, at, usually at, like, politicians, people they deal with. But they're also sort of, like, patting their own egos while at the same time very much not even winking but like openly accepting that and and admitting that a lot of what they do is just kind of a game because really they shouldn't even be doing white house briefing because they know that sarah huckabee sanders is just outright lying to them constantly even when it's Mm -hmm. say someone from the obama white house getting in front of them while they might not be lying it's just spin that's all they're trying to do is get in front of you and spin to the facts or the narrative to their side. So she was right to make fun of them for that. And I think ultimately most of the backlash, apart from like the weird chastising well for stuff she didn't say is I think the white house correspondents and a lot of people who cover the white house getting mad that they were made fun of so relentlessly and so fairly Mm -hmm. at that. And then trying to find some, Oh, this was too mean. No. Right. And then, of course, the sad part that now Michelle Wolf is being pegged by both sides as, you know, she's our partisan. No, she's our partisan. Or, like, no, like, she's everything that's wrong with the left. Like, okay. Yeah, it's you know, trying to trying to use her to play a different type of game. Um, it was objectively <laughs> funny. If it wasn't your uh-huh. cup of tea, just admit that. But yeah. she's a comedian she is and i mean she's been around for a few years she's on the daily show and seth meyer's late night show and you know if they wanted to know what types of jokes that she told it's out there like she even said that in her speech like you should have done more research before you hired me if you weren't going to be comfortable with my jokes you know she said something like that and the other the other thing that i noticed um reading through a lot of the criticisms was they were focusing the critiques focused on jokes or jibes that she did that I thought were not nearly as offensive or rude as other jokes that she had made. Like for example, uh, you know, everybody freaking out about the Sarah Huckabee Sanders comment. (laughs) And she, she did not directly make fun of this woman's looks, but she did make fun of Mitch McConnell's looks. She She said that he, he couldn't be here tonight because he was getting his neck circumcised. 
which is so gross, <laughs> but still so correct in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yes. wrong, but it, that's, that's a pretty mean joke. But nobody talked about that in the criticisms. And the things, the two, the two lines that got brought up the most were how Ivanka Trump is as useful as an empty box of tampons and how Sarah Huckabee Sanders uses burnt facts to make eye makeup. And I was like, what, what's with all this? Like, it, they're, they're like female attacks. So I, I'm, and you might have to help me work this out, but I really feel like she's getting criticisms for criticizing the women in the room that she made fun of. Mm -hmm. And everything else was rolling off, but she's so horrible. She's this horrible a bitch of a person that would make some fun of somebody's eye makeup or say that Ivanka isn't useful. And I was like, those to me were not the, the, the most offensive jokes that she told by, by a long shot. No. So there's some weird, there's, there's like this weird anti-feminist thing going on there <laughs> where they, they focus on her, her jokes about the other women in the room. And those are the ones that were deemed, oh, crossing a line. Yeah, because Sarah Huckabee Sanders is just such a delicate flower. I mean, come on, please. Or Ivanka Trump is out there saving women. Everybody knows that she's not. <laughs> Even though she yep. promised she would. You know what I mean? Like, it just... Yeah, those, were the, those were the ones that got the most criticism. And those were not the, the worst of the, of the things that she said. This is me just obviously spitballing. So, uh... And, like, my, I guess an observation, so if I'm dead wrong, please correct me. I sort of get the idea that some of that, as uh, far as the press and you know, a lot of conservative pundits um, taking issue with what they thought was, uh, excuse me, the dog just got into the trash can. <laughs> I was like, what's that sound? I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, and what they thought was, you know, oh, you, you shouldn't shame women for how they look is some misplaced, like, oh, we're supposed to care about, you know, women's feelings now. Like, mm -hmm. you should care about actual sexism and misogyny. And for which these women in the White House are helping Trump do. Yes. Is be misogynistic, ironically, <laughs> you know. Which is what I was going to say when you were talking about Ivanka. It's, you know, oh, you know, she's enabling all of this. So, um, mm -hmm. and then, of course, it made me think to last year when none of the Trump people showed up and uh, Hassan Minaj got in front and quite literally called Steve Bannon a Nazi. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. And I don't know if that means that, um, well, I'm not saying he's too far off, but that's a pretty, pretty powerful, horrible thing to call someone. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they didn't seem to care too much, but as I said, I think some of this is misplaced, uh, I guess, what would you even call it? Like social awareness or social values. And then, um, I, I still think a lot of this, they just got mad because she was very mean to them, but, you know, pointed out that, uh, <laughs> you know, for as much as they seem to dislike him, they can't stop talking about him or, you know, asking him mm -hmm. or asking Sarah Huckabee Sanders for that matter to repeat these lies. Like they know yep. what she's going to say. Mm -hmm. Stay out of the trash can. And I'm on, holding Dago. him right now. He's just like trying to push the lid <laughs> Are off. Are you really? 
yeah, I think I think that might be a good way to to say it. It's just like misplace misplace something. But yeah, but I wonder like if it was a man that had told those jokes, would they still be talking about the same jokes? Um that's a good question. That's probably too that's probably like too big of a question and you know hypotheticals are always difficult to really play with but if it was a man that presented everything that she did last night with those exact words those exact jokes i mean wouldn't we be talking about something else <laughs> i feel i feel like we would be i think but I might so. be wrong i don't know no i i've kind of noticed that i mean even now there's well, I guess with, with everything, but especially in stand-up comedy, there's more men than there are women. And uh-huh. it seems like oftentimes when women kind of do the same thing, it's like, oh, that's that's gross. Or like, you're not supposed to talk like that. As right. where like men getting on stage and being ridiculous and gross and all that stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's funny because that's just how men are. Uh, right. what? <laughs> like, yeah. Do you not get that that's not something that you, know, you should be saying because it's also it's incorrect, but okay. Mm-hmm. It's like that's yeah. just how comedy is. So therefore, yeah, I... that's how everything is. No. <laughs> I think my favorite part was that she ended her entire her speech by saying, you know, like, okay, well, you know, like a kid who was brought here by their parents. <laughs> nothing wrong. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Also, Flint still doesn't have clean yes. water. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Her last two statements. It's like whether whether you like what she had to say or not. She is pretty in touch with the reality of daily life, and the people in that room clearly are not. And they're there to mm-hmm. self congratulate on the um, on, on their such good work of protecting the First Amendment, and yeah. then getting all bitchy about a comedian pointing out their hypocrisies. Yes, they're there. I think it's it would be too generous to say that they're there to congratulate themselves on their achievements. They're uh-huh. there to reaffirm and uh, congratulate themselves on their position and their mm-hmm. status. It has little to do with what, you know, they're talking about. Oh, like we raised money for scholarships for journalism. Like um, if you're watching this thing and you're getting inspired to become a journalist, uh, mm-hmm. I've never, the few journalists I've talked to and also like from reading stuff, like doesn't really seem like that's what they're all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the articles I read too, uh, and it was from the times, they kind of made th- that point really driven home that it is more about the status. They referred to it as like a great Gatsby party. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> um, and they also in parentheses stated quote, the times has not attended in a decade. <laughs> so, Good. Yeah. The, if, if you watch that with the inspiration to become a journalist, you're, I mean, it's probably to become a, a different type of journalist than the the White House correspondents and the type of bullshit that they buy into and feed into. I enjoyed, I think it was last year when uh, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward got up and spoke. Okay. Because it, it can come across, I guess, as somewhat like self-congratulatory, but, you know, they're just discussing the virtues of journalism and, but there was none like the people in this room. It was kind of like, you know, we've learned this over decades that you know, the importance of cultivating sources and asking questions and trying to find the truth you know, serves a societal purpose. So I guess it was 
somewhat self-congratulatory, but yeah, mm -hmm. you know, as, as, we, as we've both said, um, if you're watching that and that's your inspiration for journalism versus, you know, say reading all the president's men or any of the books that uh, came out during that time by Carl uh, or by, you know, Woodward and Bernstein or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, it seems to me you're probably more interested in being some sort of like celebrity type uh, journalist, mm -hmm. if you will. No, mm -hmm. I, but I, I totally agree with you. Those last two lines are great. And um, <laughs> not to belabor this too much, but again, I didn't see much mentioning of that by either you know, well-known media types on Twitter or like the uh, kind of the larger media sites. You know, there was mm -hmm. little mention of, oh yeah, she did bring up you know, the water and Flint's still bad and that nothing is being done about the DACA kids. But okay, mm -hmm. let's, mm -hmm. uh, let's get all bent out of shape because we misunderstood a joke and also then pretended that she said things she didn't say. Let's do that. That seems like right. fun. Yeah. We must get yeah, angry. <laughs> <laughs> we must be offended. We're important. <laughs> I suppose she kind of filled the uh, news cycle for what Kanye West was doing last week, which I don't care about. <laughs> which is also kind of, <laughs> I mean, hilarious in a lot of ways, but yeah. <laughs> I, I follow a... Uh, He's a conservative, but he fancies himself a um, like centrist conservative uh, blogger mm -hmm. on Twitter. And he and I were direct messaging and uh, saying, so is it bad that when it comes to Kanye West and his tweets regarding supporting Trump, that I don't really care? Because in my mind, he's always been an extremely talented artist who's kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. And this just sort of plays into that. And I don't really care. <laughs> He's like, oh, that sounds about right. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that that I definitely took it just, just like more entertainment mm -hmm. <laughs> from him. I mean, I, he he can do or say whatever whatever he wants, but I don't think it really changes anything. No. It just gives us uh, more funny phrases and memes to to laugh at. So. And more. Uh, not. Like, I don't enjoy this, but uh, more. You know, to fill the news cycle, which is already too full as it is. Right. But it's to, it's to like, I think you're, I think you're totally right there. Like it fills a news cycle that is too full. And but, so it's replacing stuff that's more important or mm -hmm. more relevant. And uh, yeah, it's just a, just another distraction. Which one of the big stories that you added to the agenda, which I didn't have much chance to follow last week. In fact, I didn't even mm -hmm. have a chance to see his speech, which I heard was quite good. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Macron's or Macron? What? I can't pronounce. I'm being stupid in my way. Let's say, let's roll it with Macron. <laughs> Macron. Macron. Yeah. Macron. Um, <laughs> macro in. Macro in uh, his visit to Washington, <laughs> and you know, both trying uh -huh. to be Trump's friend while trying to tell him that he's going down the wrong path, and then. I still have no mm -hmm. idea what the story is with that tree. So, oh. <laughs> Michelle, will you please fill me in on what exactly happened last week with that and how to pronounce <laughs> his name correctly, obviously. I will I will do my best. So, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> 
but I'm just saying, gonna say Macron because I'm not really good with French, but it is it's supposed to be said something like that. So yeah, he visited Washington uh, it, this last week. It was like the first official state dinner that Trump as president has ever hosted. And uh, he was there for several days. I'm not sure how long he was there for. Um, and then like Angela Merkel showed up for one day at the end of the week. And then she like peaced out because yeah. she, <laughs> yeah. she hates Trump and she, you know, she's not going to beat around the bush about it. Um, but anyways, just as a symbol of um, the long friendship between France and the United States, um, there was a tree brought from uh, the, this forest in France um, and it, it's from the forest of a battle site from World War One, in which mm -hmm. uh, U.S. Marines helped block a, a, the Germans from breaking through the lines, basically. And if it wasn't for the U.S. Marines sacrifice there, the Germans very well could have taken Paris, or at least that's the that's the alternative history if the Marines hadn't been there. <laughs> yeah, alternative, alternative history. history, eh? <laughs> Yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> and so this this young oak tree is from the that forest. It's um let's see, it's called Below Wood, something like that. But anyways, so that tree was brought um as a symbol of friendship to be planted on the White House uh grounds. And um it got a little bit of extra story because they you know, they had all this pomp and circumstance of Trump and Macron out there with shovels like <laughs> actually planting this tree together. And then like in the quiet of the night, the tree disappeared. And people were like, what the fuck? Where'd the tree go? <laughs> you know? And there's just this like empty patch of ground <laughs> where the tree was. <laughs> Come to find out that um, uh, whoever's in charge of uh, of allowing plants into our country, like some sort of customs routine, yeah. it, the tree is in quarantine for now <laughs> just to make sure there's no uh, dangerous bacteria being brought from France and put into the ground. <laughs> Of the White House, which I think is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> like, really? You can't let anything go. <laughs> Just let the tree. It's fine, guys. <laughs> well, especially with uh, the administration uh, <laughs> that employs uh, you know, Scott Pruitt, who just hates yes. the environment in general. So, yes, exactly. Maybe he ordered it. Like, oh, we've got too many trees here. Let's take that one back. Let's put some oil yeah. in the ground there and see what happens. All right. <laughs> Right, we're gonna replace it with an oil pump <laughs> or a fracking rig. <laughs> that'll be that'll be a better use of that little like one square foot of ground. <laughs> so Just I heaven it forbid a nice it's symbol. a windmill. Just heaven forbid it's a windmill. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <I'm> exactly. <laughs> no, no green, no green energy allowed there. Oh man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I I've liked Macron since he kind of first hit the international political scene last year just because he's uh he doesn't talk like a fascist mm -hmm. and uh yeah that was good he's not a yeah he's not a nazi sympathizer so you know that's cool um and it, i think his uh his time in dc was very much reflective of when he hosted trump in paris last summer <laughs> where you know he had that like hand-breaking handshake with trump just to be like well you're not gonna mess with me man and but still be all buddy buddy with him i think macron's pretty smart because i think he's he's playing trump's own game so he can befriend him and flatter him and go through all the smiles and 
you know, the kisses on the cheek and all the pomp and circumstances and, and stuff. And then he goes and hand holding. He's not literally hand holding. <laughs> and then he can still go to do a joint session of Congress and for 50 minutes just destroy everything that the Trump administration stands for mm-hmm. and get standing ovations for it. So I I did not watch his his speech in entirety just because it was it was an hour and I didn't I didn't carve out the time to watch the full thing. But he he does basically talk about, you know, how since World War Two, there's been, uh, you know, a, a, a world order that that was helped created by the West that created a lot of peace in the West, mm-hmm. um, just forcing longtime enemies to economically and socially work together and that to to push away internationalism and and. Um, reject climate change and all of, all of the the challenges that our, our world is facing now, he said would be a, you know, monstrous mistake. And that's basically what his whole visit was, was being buddy, buddy with Trump and still telling him that he's a fucking idiot and he's going to destroy the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, I don't know if, if anyone has ever told Trump this directly, but as you and I have discussed, you know, what may have been at one time viewed as Bannonism is Trumpism and Mm -hmm. Trumpism is now Republicanism. It's, you know, it's all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. unless he, you know, kind of rejects that stuff, which, you know, another thing that I liked about Macron was uh, I think a lot of us were worried because I don't know about you. I was surprised, but not super surprised when, uh, the uh, UK voted, well, except for Scotland, um, to you know leave mm-hmm. the EU. So it was like, oh gosh, all the stuff that we thought would never happen, such as Trump being elected president, happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, what's her face? Who is the gal that was running the like nationalism? Marine Le Pen. Yes, Marine Le Pen. Le Pen. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I was like, oh, they're, she's gonna win. And it's gonna suck. And then like. You know, Merkel's going to go down to some other nationalist. We've already seen that happening in Eastern Europe and places like Hungary, where it's like, oh, crap, this just keeps happening. And now Italy is kind mm-hmm. of on that path, too. Yeah. With, am I seeing this correctly, where, like, a former leader who kind of was not very good is now embracing nationalism and coming back? Yes, that okay. is true. Ugh. I think, I I forget his name, but he was kind of ousted of, out of power originally for, like, massive corruption. Wasn't he a billionaire? He's he's some kind of wealthy guy. I don't I don't know. He just looks like a mobster to me. But <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a front runner again. It's like you guys voted him out of office because he was so horrible, and now you want to vote him back in. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's I, going on? <laughs> I honestly don't understand the appeal of nationalism. Um, then again, I don't understand how. And this is a whole another point, which I will will not get into this. But I just don't understand. Uh, I don't want to call it conservatism, but let's call it the xenophobia of the right or the narcissism of many conservatives that it, you know, this idea that if everyone just acted like me, we'd be mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know, we, <laughs> you're not better off if the person next to you is better off. Or the, you know, if your neighbors are better off, you're better off. Like, think, like, yeah, they can time for themselves. Or like, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Like, they're, they're all lazy assholes. What? Uh, maybe you should have good relations with them. Fuck them. Um, yeah. But, but like hyper hyper individualism yes. at the same time. 
which is uh you know a discussion we could go on forever um mm-hmm. but yeah I, i'm with you and i i i will watch that speech because i i heard it was very good and the parts i did see I was like this is good and, and one of the few speeches where i think both parties were giving him a standing ovation during different like applause lines which we mm-hmm. don't really see anymore um so if if anything that's sort of a uh that's something to look forward to and shows that as you said he's he seems like a good leader who understands that uh just you know ethnocentrism and nationalism and stuff like that isn't good and doesn't lead to good things mm-hmm. i saw you posted this on facebook next time people have too that a lot of people in particular young people don't really remember or don't aren't aware of the holocaust Right, Which yeah. makes me think that even less people are aware of the history of what led to the outbreak of World War One, mm-hmm. which from, uh, I remember from middle school history was a teacher saying that it was basically a powder keg of uh, nationalism, alliances, and a bunch of other st- and, you know, economic downturn that was uh, lit with the spark that was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And with, I don't want to get into that too much because we've got another sort of history thing to get into here. And that there's yet <laughs> another thing that's happening more, I guess it's, it's been happening, but now there's more news about it where um, president orange man is talking about going to the, uh, demilitarized zone in uh, in between North and South Korea to engage mm-hmm. in a peace summit with uh, Kim Jong-un and uh, leaders of the South Korean government. And I really enjoyed, uh, I, I enjoy most of his tweets. It's uh, Tom Nichols, who is the author of the book that I reviewed for the blog a while back, uh, The Death of Expertise. He's also a professor at the uh, Naval War College in Rhode Island. And I'm going to give him a quick shout out here. If you are on Twitter, I'd suggest following him. He's at Radio Free Tom. Yes, he's a conservative. And I think he takes great pleasure in being somewhat uh, overly like curmudgeonly when it comes to certain things. Like you'll see a lot of posts about how he uh, gets mad at people for taking their shoes off on planes or how they act at different restaurants. But if anything, he's interesting and he's funny even if he's not your cup of tea, but he, he has been a, a very long, uh, never Trump Republican, but this was his tweet from today regarding the, uh, news of orange boy trying to meet with <laughs> Kim Jong-un. The president of the United States is going to go to the DMZ to promise never to invade North Korea in return for pretty much nothing, but an assurance that one day North Korea <laughs> might get rid of its nuclear weapons. This is making the Iran deal look like the Peace of Westphalia. Bravo there, uh, Professor Nichols. I don't no know kidding. how much I'll cut out, yeah, but dude. then again, us looking stupid is not necessarily bad. In fact, it could be not funny. Really. <laughs> it, could, it very well could be funny. So I'll give you editorial discretion okay. on that one. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, making, we're making good time here, to uh, quote George Costanza. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you don't mind, I was going to kind of lead... On as like as far as the implications for, or, or uh-huh. I guess what I view as 
Trump's motivation here, um, which is this is kind of a legacy piece for him uh, when it comes to foreign policy. Also, you know, he can go, hey, like, you know, Obama, because he's constantly weighing himself against or measuring himself against other people, mm-hmm. especially Obama. Main, mainly Obama. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he can both go, you know, I've, you know, I deserve a Nobel Peace Prize, even if I haven't done nothing, anything. I haven't done nothing. Yay, grammar. Um, while also shitting on Obama at the same time by going, mm-hmm. no, this Iran deal's crap, even though apart from you know, people like John Bolton and the uh, you know, hysteria of Netanyahu, uh, go BB. Yeah. Most observers are saying, including the UN, are going, no, no, Iran is, uh, the Iranians are living up to their end of the bargain on this deal. So he mm-hmm. can justify his way out of that because he can say, no, this was shit because Obama, you know, he was behind it and he negotiated mm-hmm. as where me and my genius of business, which he obviously is, negotiated this everlasting peace, which should give him a Nobel Peace Prize with North Korea. Mm-hmm. And because he's Trump, I think there's little more to it than that. Would does that sound like I might be onto something or is that too simplistic? No, no I, th- I think that's correct because he is a very simple minded person. And, you know, the, the idea of him, uh, possibly attaining a Nobel Peace Prize for accidentally creating peace talks between North and South Korea after threatening them with war. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's a little horseshit. And I think, well, because it, it was um, the new president of South Korea, I forget his name, he he was like the one that said that, like, oh, Trump deserves, mm-hmm. deserves the Nobel Peace Prize because of this. I think that's him just playing politics. Yep. Like, just to make sure that the U.S. is involved to help legitimize and stabilize any possible peace treaty between the North and the South and to formally end the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, like, so Trump just, he, he'll he just take all the credit for it. He's not going to get the credit in the long run of history, but he's going to try to take it. Well, as you said with uh, Macron, he he's smart enough to know that the best way to get Trump to do something is to... Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just flatter him into doing it. And mm-hmm. the South Koreans have long since favored reunification. Um, mm-hmm. As you just said, like, this war has never actually ended. Nope. Um, and, I mean, unless you want to get into it, like, I realize that I've read maybe about half of David Hallis from his book, The Longest Winter, mm. and read other stuff about the Korean War Mm-hmm. Tried talking with my uh, grandfather who served in the Korean War. He won't really talk about it. Um, and hey, other me stuff. too. My my grandpa wouldn't talk about it either, so I don't know much about it. <laughs> well, this grandfather, this is my only living grandfather. He oh. he's kind of a stoic guy, and like you know, even when you kind of will talk with him, he doesn't generally like talking about himself. He prefers to hear about you, and he likes to laugh and stuff like that. So it doesn't doesn't surprise me too much that he isn't really interested in it, but uh, it was certainly a departure from my uh, dad's father, who has passed away a number of years ago, who would never stop talking about uh, his combat in 
World War II, which was very mm. uh, harrowing to say the least. But uh, yeah, it was it's yeah. kind of a departure. But uh, yeah, with the Korean War, I just kind of feel that I used to talk about this that I was worried that um, it still might because it's still going on that uh, the war in Afghanistan would eventually kind of become uh, you know, the Korean conflict to you know what is the Vietnam conflict where we seem hmm. to remember which I think for our generation might become more of a, the disaster that was the Iraq war, which again is still sort of happening. Um, mm-hmm. But I, even saying that I know much more about what has happened in Afghanistan. I know about Korea and you know, that's multiple history classes and trying to learn. I just, I don't know if I just can't remember or just maybe that's, I don't know if there's as much, there's not as much talk about it no no definitely not and especially because like the actual timeline of i guess like active combat for the korean war was a relatively short period and compared to the the preceding war world war ii and the following war vietnam the casualties were much much lower and i i think that's part of why it's not talked about too much because it was the you know, the United States had this this glorious victory, the the only good war, World War II, mm-hmm. and then Korea was a stalemate, and nobody liked to talk about that. And then the war after it, Vietnam, was not not a stalemate; it was a failure. That was even worse. But the casualties were so high, people it it completely changed our our social, cultural, and political landscape. So Korea is like this little not talked about moment betwixt the greater wars that envelop people's lives in a much in a much larger way and uh yeah so it's just not talked about very much which is a shame because it was nothing isolated. i can't believe i just said betwixt that's, that's a good word Dude, i just said betwixt all right well thanks i feel kind of dumb for saying it but betwixt <laughs> i enjoy using whilst um when i can <laughs> instead of yeah instead of while i can't while. talk this evening for some reason um, which is, <laughs> I couldn't talk today either. I was spelling out my email address uh-huh. via voicemail and messed up. I was like, oh, well, cool. I didn't really feel like re-recording, so I just laughed, kept going, and then yeah. followed up with an email. But anyways, um, yeah, I think uh, I was thinking about that. It'd be cool to do like kind of more history-focused podcast episodes. But while we are doing good on time, we are about almost 50 minutes and okay. um, I just, because I'm guessing you're going to stick to your um, commitment to only read uh, female authors the rest of the year. You know, as far as like yes, books, I, like not, not obviously like that's right. papers and stuff. Like not, that. yeah, that's way too hard to sift out. But yeah, for, for at least for books, I'm still sticking to the female authorship. So just back to Comey's book briefly. Um, uh-huh. And. I wouldn't say it's necessarily great. I think he's getting the, like, why are you shitting on Trump and why are you... I mean, he's. I think he's being treated unfair by the right. And I don't know if you saw, I just watched... A, actually, I didn't even watch a whole thing because it was so stupid. But um, Comey's appearance on The View, where Meghan McCain, who I used to have a lot more respect for because I thought she was... She obviously is very smart, and she's a talented writer, but 
she seems to have become a Trump apologist without being a Trump apologist, and then you must defend all things on the right, even if she's not very well informed. Because as I said, like he doesn't really do a whole lot of a anti-Trump stuff so far in the book and B he doesn't do really any anti-Republican stuff. So there's really no sense in going out of your Uh way to attack him like that. that. Um, But what I, where I think his credibility, at least for the book seems in in a pretty good to me is I've heard people talk about, well, there's no way Trump would say something so stupid in a meeting and like, you know, oh, you just you pulled that out of like, the media. If you've ever watched, like I watched, I don't know why I watched it. I watched Trump's entire deposition uh, where he's, I, I think they settled it, but he sued a uh, well-known restaurateur who was supposed to do the restaurant in Trump's D.C. hotel. But okay. after the Mexican rapists and stuff like that had said, <laughs> I, I can't be a part of this and pulled out. And if I'm oh, not mistaken, I'll have, to, okay. uh, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to, good point that uh, goes along with the <laughs> Michelle Wolf routine. Um, uh, I believe this is the chef who has done tremendous work, tremendous, uh, yes. as far as like giving his time and money and, uh, stature to helping clean up puerto rico which i guess oh if we're, if we're gonna criticize michelle wolf <laughs> she didn't mention this I, I was just that's obviously a joke um <laughs> but he does the same thing in this deposition where he it's it's like a campaign speech he's just sitting there bragging about how popular you know these applause lines are and how uh you know Democrats don't like you know, his line about building the wall because they don't want to build the wall because they you know, they hate it. Like this is how he talks. He doesn't turn it off and on. The stream of consciousness thing is just what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of us who, I guess, are uh, lucky enough to know people who are dreadfully insecure and I, you know, I, I know I've done this in the past too, where you'll just sit there and talk, 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 and talk and talk and kind of like, you know, hope the other person doesn't call you out in your bullshit. <laughs> That's what Trump does. Like I, I've had, I've had family members that do that. I've, I know people right now who do that. And Comey discusses that where, one of the things he thinks pissed off Trump the most was you know, Trump going off on some tangent. Oh, it was the uh, Trump discussing with, I don't know why he was discussing this with Comey, but as I said, he just he can't stop. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking about his wonderful, and you know, the interview with Bill O'Reilly that everyone was talking about, <laughs> where Trump said, you know, are we not killers and stuff like that? And Comey took issue with that and called him out. And he said there was an obvious shift in the you know, power dynamic at that. So yeah. um, while I won't necessarily recommend reading it, I think it's worth noting if you're going to shit all over it, anybody uh, read it before you do, because hmm. it's it's not what Fox News is saying it is. It's not even, I think, what a lot of people like me were saying it was going to be. It's, 
I was going to say, yeah, you, what, you, what you told me about it tonight is like the opposite that I've heard about it from all outlets, not, not Fox. I don't look at Fox, but so even liberal outlets were giving it some pretty harsh criticism. So you've made me, made it a little more intriguing. If you want, um, I do have a hard copy of it and I can send it to you at some point, uh, I guess at the end of the year, I mean, we're, we're already in May. <laughs> already to me it's true i know how crazy is that um any, anything else you would like to add on trump uh dreadful insecurity lying puerto rico any of that stuff that i just blathered on about while talking about how trump blathers on like a moron <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no no you don't blather no um <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess the one other thing, uh, if we could touch on it really quick. Of course. Is um, a little piece of news that I found right before we jumped on to record tonight was uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's little presentation yes. about Iran and mm. the stolen documents from January. Oh, I didn't hear so, about this. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, you didn't? No, I just saw he had a PowerPoint presentation which said Iran he lied. He had a he had, yeah, exactly. And that was literally what the, the giant screen, yes, like the I six foot screen picture. behind him said, it's Iran lie, period. Because <laughs> he was playing for an audience of one and it was Trump. Yeah. So basically, um, Israel hates Iran. That's <laughs> not a With secret. Some good cause. With some good cause. Yeah. It's true. It's true. But it seems like Israel kind of hates everybody. And so some of their their techniques and motives are have become suspect in the last decade or so. But anyways, I guess uh, after the Iran nuclear deal was signed, um, Israel has been kind of keeping an eye on Iran. And they found out that some documents about their nuclear program, which was supposed to be just for energy, not for weapons, uh, were being stored in some random warehouse in Tehran. And the Israeli government broke into that warehouse one night and took all this paperwork and took all these documents back to Israel with them. And lo and behold, they have uh, Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> I love his nickname, Bibi. It is a good nickname. Um, it is a good name nickname. Um, put together this little PowerPoint just within two weeks of Trump having a deadline, whether he's going to pull out of the Iran deal or not talking about how, Oh, Iran did have a weapons nuclear program from all these years ago and blah, blah, blah. Like there's all these documents to prove that. And it's it, it just the timing of it. <laughs> it's really quite suspect. Um, the way the information was uh, gathered and then processed and then presented is all very suspect. And I think this, you know, these, this choice of the Iran deal coming up within a couple of weeks, right when the Korea peace talks are about to happen too, is just like, what a fucking hypocritical shit storm. <laughs> and now Bolton, yeah. And Bolton being, oh, yeah. um, and Pompeo just got, uh, what is Pompeo? He's not the Secretary of State. State, that's the one. I can't keep track of all these losers. Um, well, he was the who, CIA director before, and he shouldn't have been that either. So, you know. Yeah. 
yeah and like the the way that that things in the past like libya was handled and the fall of Muammar Gaddafi and his nuclear weapons like just all of these different things happening all at once i feel very overwhelmed by it and i want to yes. know what your thoughts are <laughs> on all of these things that seem so far apart but they're really all connected it's true uh we certainly live in a very small world especially when uh, i wanted to mention that um trump is the manifestation of this many times over of a rich white man failing upward continuously to the point where he's the most powerful person in the world and that uh somehow um uh oh, what's his name crap <laughs> the uh <laughs> former secretary of state i can picture him right rex tillerson who yes, was a rex. bad secretary of state and Drove out dozens upon dozens of career diplomats because he was so awful. Uh, no. Is preferable to mm -hmm. Mike Pompeo and will likely be preferable. In fact, Pompeo will likely be preferable to whoever it is that takes over for him after he right. does whatever horrible shit that he will certainly do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it. Apart from just, it just seems like more and more of the same. Horrible shit keeps happening. And we kind of talked about it earlier with the you know, resurgence of a terrible Italian uh, politician, where we're seeing mm -hmm. this now with he's not in a position of power, but resurgent Newt Gingrich. In a sense, uh, resurgent you know, Donald Trump took office. Mm -hmm. Resurgent all these people, <laughs> including John Bolton who right, was yeah. at one point told by Republicans when they were trying to confirm him for uh, UN secretary that he was a horrible choice. <laughs> and while he did not get confirmed, he was uh, made a, uh, what do they call it? Is it a pocket veto? Not a pocket veto. Um, it's where, oh, a, uh, I'll have to put this up because I can't remember from my constitutional law class but basically he still got put in but yes, it didn't have to be confirmed by Congress. a recess appointment that's what it is there we go yeah. Um, yeah and they just keep coming back and i don't know why like these people should have been gone a long time ago yeah. and you and i have joked about this but apparently uh you know 30 rock was not joking with the uh committee to reinvade vietnam it's yes so true <laughs> This is it's exactly what it feels away. like, man. <laughs> no, God, it's like Jack Donaghy is in government again or something. <laughs> but that was supposed to be satire, which we've also talked about. That satire is dead. <laughs> and, and they've killed it. It's true. Satire is dead. It's all too real. <laughs> it's all too real. As we said in uh, the recording I posted last week, uh, or... <laughs> When I questioned whether or not uh, Sean Hannity was really named as Michael Cohen's secret client, like what? <laughs> that had to be fake, right? Ah, fake. Shit. No, <laughs> no, man, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> Which let's let's try and uh, change the the the, uh, the mood here with the good thing of the week. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to mention first, or do you want to like what I've done in the past, like? You go first so I can think of something. I recently started a free trial of Ancestry.com. Hmm. 
And I think I've been able to track my father's family tree back to the early 1700s. Wow. Which is super cool. So that's, that's my good thing of the week. Like, uh, just a few hours of uh, mooching off of other people's really, really long hours of hard work sifting through census records and uh, uh, marriage licenses and stuff. I, th- I think I may have found where where my family was in the early 1700s, which was like in Virginia. Oh, so wow. I still haven't quite I still haven't found the origin point. Um, but that but that's kind of cool because like my mom's side of the family, I had some great aunts back in the 70s do what would be, I guess, essentially my maternal kind of branch of the family tree, mm-hmm. which also goes back to the 1700s, um, actually into the 1600s. And then, but my father's side, it kind of hits a wall, like in East Texas in the 1850s. Mm. But I think I may have broken through that wall and gotten gotten a century back. That's really cool. Week. So it is really cool. And so, I mean, just for me, it's a confirmation of a joke that I tell most people because I have red hair and they're like, oh, are you Irish or Scottish? And I say, well, my family's been in this country so long. I'm just hillbilly. So (laughs) it's just a confirmation that I'm just all hillbilly at this point. (laughs) But anyways, it's it's kind of fun. And um, Ancestry.com, it's it's kind of a cool website just because it seems like it's a lot more research-based as opposed to like social networking-based. Yeah, yeah. and I've heard good things about their little DNA kit, which is a lot more specific than like 23andMe and stuff. So I, I don't know. It's just it's a personal good thing of the week. But I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Which it should be noted that apparently uh, 23andMe uh, you should not use if you're a, uh, a serial killer. So uh, be careful Oh, yeah, because you might get caught. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I guess they're not really even supposed to be Patton doing. But, hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> even after Patton Oswald's uh, late wife did all this like killer research and like did some great stuff. Her Which, book came out this week, didn't it? It's been out. Well, I, I know the audio book's oh. been out for a few weeks because uh, oh, Julia okay. finished it a while back. Not a while back, like, it's, like as far as like, a month ago. <laughs> it's been out. But still, it's like, recently, what a cool. Recent. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty recent. So, you know, her untimely passing. And uh, I don't know, just the amount of work and the, the, the stories that I've heard about her mm-hmm. and her, her work over the years. It's just, I don't know, what a, what a cool thing to, to have happen after her work gets published and this, you know, this serial killer gets caught. It's, I don't know, what a time to be alive, Noel. Definitely. Uh, which apparently we're all about uh, the Michelles this evening because Patton Oswalt's late <laughs> wife uh, oh, was yeah, Michelle McNamara. Yeah, and, I forgot. Uh, I have uh, her her book here on my bookshelves. I'm just waiting to uh, finish the last like 30 minutes of Comey's book here, uh, which uh-huh. is I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and I'll, I'll post a link to that. I might not post a link to uh, Comey's book just because I don't know. I, 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 I'm guessing McNamara's book is going to be more interesting, but uh, mm. actually, I'm pretty much sure it's going to be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 100% confident it's going to be more interesting yes. than Tony's book. <laughs> and um, actually, this is kind of an interesting uh, little segue here because my good thing of the week is both uh, personal, but I think uh, it will maybe drive some people to uh, in a year industry there, Michelle. And also make it easier for me to read mm. books by Michelle because 
I was not having headaches, but you know, just I've been doing so much spreadsheet work at the office that yeah, I should probably get some new glasses. <laughs> okay. I noticed that my prescription was expired, so I went into the eye doctor, and it was hey. maybe been been a little over two years. Okay. And I sit down and tell the doctor, like, oh, has there been any like changes in your health? And I said, well, the last time I was here, I probably had high blood pressure, but didn't really know it and didn't say anything. So I said, I've, you know, it's been diagnosed. I'm on this medication for it. I just took my uh, blood pressure last night, and it was mm-hmm. at this level, which is, in case you're wondering, it's in a normal range. So I'm not just Yay. not saying it because it's, uh, I'm going to die. It was normal range. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've lost X amount of weight, and um, I feel a lot better. And I told him that, and he went through everything, and he said, uh, the first part was that this was nothing to be alarmed about, but my vision had gotten slightly worse since the last time I was in there, which he uh-huh. said was normal because I'm just older. And he said, but in probably 20 years, I'm going to have to wear glasses all the time. And he thought that this new prescription would... Because I've got really good, like, far vision, but he thought this would help because I wouldn't have to focus so hard. Yes. But uh, really what the good news was, and they didn't do this when I didn't tell him about the high blood pressure before because I didn't know. He really, really looked at my eyes, and I was like, what are you doing? And after he got done, he's like, well, you have very healthy-looking eyes. If you hadn't told me about your high blood pressure, he's like, I would not have, like, he's like, there's no signs of hypertension anywhere. And I hadn't even thought about that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know that, like, it affects your vision, which is why they ask you mm-hmm. about it. But he just told me, like, all different, like, problems it can cause. So it's like, I'm glad I went in. I'm glad I'm getting addressed. And, like, it was just kind of those things where I walked out feeling better about myself. That's that's, that's my great. good thing. And, uh, yeah, so if you have not, um, A, gone to the doctor, do that. And if you have not gone to the eye doctor for because you don't think you need glasses, do that. Because <laughs> yeah. it's... Get your health good because you'll you'll feel much better, not only physically but just mentally about yourself. Yes, I'm super stoked to hear that. And just to to layer on how how I don't know, like helpful and kind of cool it can be to go get your eyes checked is that when the doctor uses their scope and looks inside your eyes, they can see blood vessels in there. Mm-hmm. And the eyes is the, that's the only part of the human body where a doctor can look in and see your blood vessels at work without having to cut you open. That's the only yeah. point where you can, your health, your overall health can be observed in a non-intrusive way. And so, yeah, they can, they diagnose hypertension, diabetes, all kinds of health problems, but also in your case, health improvements. And, uh, yeah, eye doctors are cool. So there you go. Definitely. And I'll have to, uh, I'll at least post pictures to my Twitter, but I have new glasses that should be here tomorrow with my new prescription, which he did say it might take a bit to get used to. And he's like, keep them Mm -hmm. on all the time. Cause I told him like, I have this tendency to like take them off and like leave them off for a while at work or like not wear them to work at all. I was like, don't do that. Yeah. Leave them on. (laughs) That can stress your eye muscles yeah. out quite a bit. So. <laughs> so you won't get used to them if you don't use them. All right. 
right. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Not just because Michelle works for an eye doctor, but because you should do it. And, you know, I'm, I feel sort of embarrassed, but glad at the same time that I am finally actually, like, looking out for my health, even though I turned 35 this week. Um, what? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not that old, but then, like, which, again, my doctor was like, you're not old, but you're, 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 you're getting, you're not young. Okay, <laughs> all right, that's fair. Okay, somewhere, somewhere betwixt. <laughs> <laughs> betwixt, excellent. <laughs> Whilst Sorry, getting I older, <laughs> I noticed this, that blank, yes. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> but yes, that's, uh, with that, I think we'll sign off for now, and yeah, I'll, uh, do my best to get at least one episode uh, published before I go on vacation this weekend. Cool. Um, so look forward to that. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Noel. Thanks, all the Michelles, actually. <laughs> Michelles were important this week. So, Big week yeah, for Michelles. Cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So